Hi, I'm Jayant Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. This episode is part of our expert view series on COVID-19 and perhaps one of our most important conversations because it deals with the mathematical modeling of the disease. So as I'm recording this segment, the news is that Prime Minister Modi has just held a video conference with all the chief ministers and we understand that Delhi Chief Minister Arvind Kejriwal has asked him to extend the lockdown. Two states that is Odisha and Punjab have already said they will extend some form of a lockdown till the end of the month and Tamil Nadu it looks like is very likely to follow suit which is why this conversation is so important and comes at such a critical juncture because it is only through mathematical modeling that we can chart a way forward and understand how we balance out various concerns what is the kind of data we need for example on how covid-19 is spreading and based on this how can we devise a plan going forward for further lockdowns let's say how long should they be and at what intervals how do we balance this out with the cost to our economy how do we estimate the capacities of our medical systems and infrastructure so that we can keep pace with this my guest today is dr gautam menon who is a professor of physics and biology at ashoka university in delhi and at the institute of mathematical sciences in chennai The modeling of infectious disease and its implication for public policy is a long-standing interest of his and he's also working with a team of scientists now from all across the country to develop models going forward that can help us understand what may happen at the state and even district level as we negotiate some form of an exit from the lockdown while still continuing to tackle the spread of COVID-19. We'll discuss all that But just to start with I'm going to be asking him to demystify certain elements of disease modeling for us so that we have a sound basis to have this conversation. So I hope you get a lot from this episode just like I did and here's Dr. Gautam Menon. Dr. Gautam Menon, welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. Thank you for making time for us today. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, I'll just jump into it with a kind of overall question that actually I've been meaning to ask somebody for a while. Um, so look, I think many of us got our first real interaction with the field of uh, disease modeling a few weeks back when reported cases of COVID-19 started going up in India. And um, in those early days, or you know what seemed like early days now, one of the projections that really made people take notice and got them talking. uh was one by dr ramanand lakshmi narayan and lakshmi narayan sorry from the center of disease dynamics in washington and uh, that projection seemed to be that the best case scenario we would have about 2 million deaths we would have about 20 million infections um and that really got a lot of us talking i think we dedicated a whole segment to one of our podcasts you know just trying to make sense of those numbers and i know that you know since then there have been a number of different models that have been published um by researchers at John Hopkins uh the University of Michigan amongst others and the numbers and figures for projections vary but i kind of want to go back to dr lakshmi narayan because since i first heard that projection i've been playing around with this question of what one should know and keep in mind when interacting with mathematical modeling of diseases in other words you know i'm i want to ask you as someone who's familiar with the field uh what i'm asking is what stands out to a researcher like you when you first hear someone presenting a mathematical model for infectious disease 
what goes through your mind when you assess it? I tend to be usually fairly skeptical about models because, partly because I'm a modeler myself, so I know what goes in the, the nitty gritty and the nuts and bolts that go into modeling. So the first sort of question would be, does the model have everything that really it ought to contain? Does it have all of the necessary nuts and bolts that are required to make predictions about, for example, the total number of people who will die, the total number of people who will be infected? Does the model make sense from that point of view? And here we have an advantage because mathematical modeling of disease is a field that goes back 100 years or more. In fact, probably more like 120, 130 years, if you start with Ronald Ross and his work on malaria. So we do have now a fair amount of, of intuition for what should go into these models. So that's the first thing. Does it make sense from the point of view of the disease that we are studying? Does this model make sense overall? Then the second thing is, in what to what extent does it not make sense? What's missing in the model? What ought to be put in? And this is a question that really you should ask for every different country. Because India is different from New York, is different from Italy, is different from China, from Wuhan. So to what extent are the peculiarities of India reflected in a model of that type? That's the second question that I would ask of any model. And then the third thing is that you know, to what extent are the assumptions that are made, for example, about quarantining, about lockdowns, et cetera, reflected in what goes into the model? Is this being very unrealistic? I mean, 100% lockdown or 100% quarantine is usually not feasible in practice. So to what extent is the model sensitive to small changes in those quantities? And does that throw the answers off completely or does it still remain within the same sensible ballpark? These are the questions that I would normally ask of a model whenever I see it. Right. Uh, so just one quick follow-up there. Um, am, I, am I right in my assumption that, I mean, this could also be just the fact that I haven't uh, done a lot of research in this field, but disease modeling, is that something that we normally get a lot in our uh, discourse here when we talk about, uh, in, you know, generally in the field of medical practice in epidemiology? Is it something that's kind of lacking? It just seems to me that in the U.S. now, when I watch uh, U.S. President Donald Trump's press conferences, he's, they seem to really make policy based on, you know, the, the, the scenario shifts when they come across different types of modeling. Well, departments of epidemiology and departments of public health are actually fairly standard components of, of a good medical college. For example, the CMC Velour would be one example. Yeah. And um, you could argue that the, the number of, of, of mathematical modelers of disease or people who think about modeling of disease is not a very significant number in India compared to the scale at which you see it in, in, for example, the UK or even the US. That's because they have whole university departments that cover this particular area. It's not necessarily in medical colleges, but this is now a legitimate part of university departments that deal with public health. And then, for example, you can find in applied mathematics departments, you can find people who are interested in the modeling of diseases. That's another area. In fact, this is a field where many different people from different academic departments can come together. And that's the interesting thing about this field. So it's not really should it should not really be confined to a medical college environment because this is something that transcends that particular venue. Right. Um, so right. Sorry, that was a bit of a detour. I uh, so my second question actually is. Um, you know, I, we have to place all of our discussions now about uh, especially mathematical modeling in the context of uh, the lockdown. It's quite possible that by the time our listeners hear this, the, there will be some kind of decision on an extension of the lockdown. The prime minister is slated to discuss this with uh, chief ministers today. So I just wanted to ask, how challenging is this to model, like a period of three weeks in uh, as a lockdown? Um you know, what might happen if the lockdown is suddenly lifted in some parts is the question that everybody is kind of pondering at the moment. 
So what are the factors that have to be kept in mind when we're kind of modeling this uh, three-week period and what might happen later? So the only way to to really understand what might be happening is through mathematical models, especially if you, otherwise you're purely reactive. If you see a bunch of cases in area, you react to that particular bunch of cases by clamping down locally. And so, the, but the only way to really ask over a longer period, which strategy makes sense and which doesn't make sense. The only way to really understand that is to process that information through a mathematical model. The difficulties with that is what data you have to put into the model in the first place. And that's where we've been saying, several people have been telling government that we do need to survey more, we do need to test more in order to find out what is a fraction of the general population that is infected with COVID-19 or might have already been infected in the past. And that's very important information that goes into a model. Otherwise, you're really trying to understand something that needs a more detailed analysis with very fragmentary input information. And that makes it harder. That makes errors in the modeling much more difficult. But a good model should really be able to distinguish for you different scenarios. For example, after the two week, after the three-week lockdown, suppose you have a break of a week, then you impose another week's lockdown, then you have a break for a week, etc. How do you decide the timing of these breaks? Should it be one week? Should it be 10 days? How long do you go back to lockdown for? Do you need to go back to lockdown at all? Or do you just look at the strategy of looking at regions where the number of cases seems to be increasing and block down those regions, the geographical quarantine idea that the government has been putting out. Is that an, a sensible alternative to locking the whole country down? So, in, in my general opinion, it's always better to be local and look for local strategies, look at the districts and the towns and see whether they might require special attention as opposed to having an India-wide policy, which is an India-wide lockdown, which we've had so far. But really, it's only models that will be able to tell you the distinction between these different options and to enable you to steer the right course. I mean, it's certainly true that if you manage to lock down the country for six months and identify every single case that came up in that period, then you would get rid of the disease up to the point at which someone from abroad comes back and brings it in again. So there is certainly a trade-off there. But you do need to keep a functioning economy. You do need people to go back to work. You need schools to start. You need colleges to start. You need just regular working people to be able to go back and do the things that they would normally be doing. So where is the trade-off there in terms of how optimal is it to allow people that little bit of relaxation accompanied by other by continuing other measures such as social distancing, such as, uh, for example, increased testing, much more broad surveys, which will enable us to know what fraction of the population is already sick with this. All of this has to go together, but it's really only models that can enable you to look at multiple options and try and decide which one might be the best. It's hard to come up with the distinction between this just through pure thought. So do you need to put some sort of mathematical bones on this and, and in a sense, think about models that might best describe reality? And just to what extent do you think the, the projections and modeling that were coming in from foreign universities, and this is something that we kind of touched on earlier, and I did mention the uh, study by the Center for Disease Dynamics. And th- it seemed to be initially that a lot of the studies on mathematical modeling for COVID-19 in India were coming in from abroad. And to what extent do you think these projections led to the imposition of the lockdown in the first place? Because remember when we did go through, uh, when we did start uh, the lockdown, we didn't even have a thousand cases. It was It was quite less at that point. So... I think the idea to impose a lockdown really came from the experience of other countries which had were beginning to see the devastating effects of COVID-19. So in a sense, it was a brave decision to take at that point, based on what we knew about the disease and what we knew about its potential to spread as a pandemic, to actually say that, look, let's be ahead of the curve and do this in order that later we may not suffer the same fate that other countries have been doing. 
But it's important to point out that just lockdowns won't do. You must, the, the reason to have a lockdown is that you gain time. You prevent large-scale sort of social mixing and enable some level of distancing by fiat. But along with that, you have to be able to identify cases, test them, make sure that everyone in the same family that the case was interacting with is also tested, expand testing vastly to make sure that you cover a reasonable fraction of the population and you know who is sick and who is not. And even when you relax the lockdown, you need to be mindful of this. So the idea that I think the, the, the Kerala government has proposed is to have staggered working hours so that some, some group of workers goes in one week, another group of workers goes in the next week. You isolate elderly, the elderly and make sure that they don't go out and because they're the most vulnerable section of, of the population, that they don't go out and mix with other people. All of these measures have to go together. So just the lockdown is not going to solve that particular problem for you. I think we did, we did a sensible thing with the lockdown in the sense we... You could have argued that it should have been done earlier, maybe it should have been done differently. Certainly the social impact of the lockdown in terms of the large populations of migrants who had to move back to their homes across multiple states, that was, a, that was not thought out well at all. But a lockdown used well is a sensible measure in terms of public health. And so, you know, just leading on again from an earlier point, you, you uh, follow this field more, more closely, of course. So uh, this is something I'd, I'd like to ask. Are there any, you know, good, viable mathematical modeling that's coming out from Indian universities. I've read one that's come out from the ICMR, and I think there's one now from an army college. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not I'm not certain where the army college is exactly. Yeah, but, um, right. Um, but is there is there anything that we can sort of look at from that's coming out of, you know, research from India? Because obviously, you know, people get the sense that research that's coming out of India has more, would be more cognizant of local factors. So I'm involved myself in multiple modeling efforts, and right. the results of these should be put out within the next, within a week, within a few days to a week. Mm. And they're all different types of models. So my general idea is that the more varied your models are, the more you can check how one does with respect to the other. Some models put in certain types of details, other models put in different types of details. So you can have very detailed, very complicated computational models called agent-based models, which really try to model things at the level of individual people and the health choices that they make and how they interact with each other, the sizes of their families and so on. And you can have far simpler models that, are, that can give you very general ideas about where the disease might progress. You can try many different options on that, which you can't do on these much larger models because they're computationally much more complicated. So there is a whole lot of work from different groups. In fact, there is a pan-India collaboration of multiple institutions, Pune University, the Institute of Mathematical Sciences in Chennai, the IITs, the Indian Institute of Science, a whole group, a bunch of groups in the Bangalore area, and a bunch of groups across the country which are involved in this. And because of this fertilization of, of many people working together in a concerted manner, these these ideas embodied in these models are likely to be more powerful than the ones that we've seen so far from abroad. They account for Indian conditions. Certainly, the difference between urban and rural is a very important one to look at in India. And I suspect that within about a week to 10 days, we will have models coming out of India that really are equivalent to the best that anyone outside India has been able to come up so far. And their importance also is in the fact that they're customized to India. They understand Indian conditions, especially Indian societal conditions. And we can put that into the model and decide to what extent we can make better predictions then sort of very general models that could have been applied anywhere around the world, but are not very specific to India as such. Yeah, I think there's a major difference in, in thinking about this because, you know, all the models that I did refer to either earlier, the whether it's John Hopkins or University of Michigan, um, you know, these all purport to be 
um, India-wide model, so kind of taking the whole country as a as a unit. And um, just I just wanted to check: is there a different methodology uh, to that, and to go about something that's a little bit more localized, as you say, uh, state-level modeling or even district-level modeling? Yeah, absolutely. So the models that I'm working with. Uh, one is a model for a very very small region for which we have some information about. This is a dense cluster of 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 houses in a region where we have some amount of social information. The other model is a model for states itself. So this is a model for all of the 28 Indian states and, and eight union territories together. So we can ask state level questions and then ask what happens when states communicate with, with each other when populations move, for example, from one state to the other. Either they migrate or they move across for work and they come back. What is it? What? How does that change the nature of the modeling? that we have we can impose selective lockdowns in particular states but not in others and ask how that influences the trajectory of the epidemic and the other piece of work i'm involved in is a very large scale model it's called an agent based model which likes to which would model almost the whole of india pretty much at the district and sub district level so you really have very local information that is fed into these models at very very small scales and that will enable us exactly as you said to go away from these very broad india wide pan india models that look interesting but don't have the sort of specific information that might be useful for making policy so that certainly is a step that we are making now and that's why i said that incorporating all of that information has taken time which is why these models have come out later than all of the other models that people have been discussing so far but i think that wait has been worth it because we will have much more local things to say a much more control and these models will be made available publicly for people who either in the know or even people of the members of the general public who would like to see how the predictions vary as we change different inputs to the model and we can update and make these models better as we learn more about the disease as we learn more about how cases are changing and being identified in better ways across the country so i think that will be a step forward so you are part of a very active google group called indian scientists response to covid-19 i am also part of the group basically as a silent spectator trying to take in information and uh, you know i've i've tried to follow some efforts that seem to be in progress and you have also detailed that in the course of our conversation today um efforts to come up with more localized modeling how useful has a group like that been is that uh, is that kind of a first time experience uh, for you also for me that certainly has been a first time experience and has been an extremely positive one the one thing i realized is that the the real seriousness of people in wanting to help and this is people you know it's not as though people have treated this lockdown as an excuse to just sit back and watch tv they're all working wherever they are is hard they work 15 16 hour days on projects like this and that's been very heartening this coming together of the scientific community across india whether they're figuring out new ways to make masks ways to make inexpensive personal personal protective equipment or ventilators or even engaged in mathematical modeling of putting out information to the public in a form that is easily digestible of busting hoaxes which i think is very important there's a lot of material that floats around on whatsapp especially family whatsapp groups that is just plain wrong and one sort of very interesting thing that this group is doing is precisely to examine the range of wrong statements that have been made and to try and address them and to point out that these are wrong and here are reasons why they are wrong and we in addition there is a web page which is maintained with lists these hoaxes allows people to get actual information that points out where they are wrong actually research papers that point out that this cannot be correct these websites will uh, more material is being added to this particular website as well as websites maintained by the indian institute of science and the tata institute of fundamental research in bombay which also is a good repository of information short movies descriptions about the disease itself a whole bunch of faqs about it so the coming together of the scientific community to create resources like this has i think been a very positive experience for me personally and i think it's a great harbinger of what could happen in the future okay 
And just one final question that I'd like to end with. I think um, the uh, the statistic at the moment is that the number of cases in India double. I think it is now every five days. I'm, I could be mistaken. I'm I'm not too sure about that. But there is, of course, like the underlying concern as we move forward now about um, do we have enough medical resources in terms of uh, hospital beds and, uh, you know, that kind of uh, physical infrastructure capability. Um, is there a is there a good way to work that into mathematical modeling um, in, in a way that could, you know, help us going forward? Absolutely. I mean, the whole intent of mathematical modeling is you may have seen the, the, the curve, flatten the curve. Yeah. So the, the, the curve refers to the number of cases of infected, which rises and then falls down later at later in time. So what you want to do is to keep that curve as low as possible, because then the number of cases who report to hospitals or report to ICUs is then kept correspondingly small. So it's not that people will not get, effect, get infected by the disease. They will get, but it's just sped up to over a much longer time. And that's essentially what social distancing does, essentially what any type of quarantine or any type of lockdown actually does. It helps you push that particular curve down to values that make the stresses on the on the healthcare system manageable. And this can be put into models. You can sort of investigate what the effects of different types of, of measures like this are on the epidemic curve and see which is the most efficient at pushing the curve down and spreading it out over a longer time. So you can do that with models. You can do that. You can do that in real life and then compare that with the result of models and then improve the models to be more predictive and more useful. And that's exactly where models you know, need information from for both what what one measures in, in outside in, in in looking at surveys, for example, of the number of people who've got the disease, that feeds back into models. And then you can make newer and better predictions as you improve these models. So you should not think of, I, I keep emphasizing this, and I think it's an important point, models are not static. Models right. have to keep improving at every time. And as more information comes in, as we understand more about the disease, as we understand more about the context, as we understand more about the measures, we can make better and better and more predictive models. That's what we no. should aim for. Okay, Dr. Menon, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I'm going to think of this as a kind of an opening conversation, and I hope to catch up with you again soon uh -huh. to, to, to discuss the various models that you said that, you know, various groups around the country are working on. I think that will be really fascinating. But thank you thank so much for sharing your time with us today. Thank you, Jens. It's been great fun talking to you.